Today's reading is James 1, 19-27. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, for if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and goes away, and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religious is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're in this series, we've been kind of going through the series for the whole year, I just kind of want to remind us um, of where we kind of are in that series. So we started the year talking about um, a beautiful risk, in that we want to, we really want to take the risk of living lives that are marked by love, and seeing where love, that love takes us. And and so Lou started off in the, in the beginning of the year, and it's in theory going to go all the way through the end of the year. Um, and we talked about like loving God, loving others, the risk of letting God love us. Um, and then we also talked about how there are certain practices um, that are going to sustain a life um, of a beautiful risk. And the last few weeks and then the next few weeks after this, we're talking about, we're taking each, like two weeks on each of these practices, start with prayer, read the Bible, live life together, share your table, and participate in God's mission and we're talking about the why um, of, of that, and then also taking a week to talk about the, the how um, to do that. And so last week, Will Rogan talked about why read the Bible, and we're talking about that second practice. And he suggested, we, one of the suggestions he made was we read the Bible because it's really the story that sustains our lives. He talked about Jesus in the wilderness, that, it, that it's the bread of life, that, that God's word is, is bread for us, and it is to sustain us um, as we journey with Jesus. And so today, I'm supposed to talk to you about how to read the Bible, which is just so silly, because um, it, it, in the next 30 minutes or so, uh, I'm supposed to give you all of the ways in which you can read the Bible and how you're supposed to do it. But I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm actually going to offer some suggestions. So the, um, my, this sermon is kind of broken up into two parts. The first half, or so, um, 10 to 20 minutes, or 20 minutes, 15 to 20, whatever. Half of 30, you can do the math. Um, so the first half is, we're gonna, I'm going to offer some suggestions of, of how to engage with Scripture. And these are just things that kind of go on in my mind um, as I as I read the Bible. And then the, the second half, um, so my notes end after that. And then the second half is we're going to look at the text that was read to you in James 1, which is not, it's an actual coincidence, um, 
or the Spirit of God, that, that we are looking at a text in which it kind of talks about what we just talked about up here, uh, which ends with visiting um, orphans and widows. Uh, but we're going to look at that passage, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to attempt to just do in front of you what I might do um, when I'm reading Scripture and the questions that I might ask. Which, so this could be a total, like a colossal failure. But you know what? We're in it together. So it's going to be great. So here's some suggestions. Um, there, there are many. I don't even know if I'll get through all of them. But they're up on the screen behind me. So here are just some suggestions of how you might read the Bible. And these aren't in order. And they don't necessarily do this first and then this next. No, these are just simple suggestions that may be different ways, entry points into reading Scripture. Because I think the church, I think Christians have a really unique um, uh, relationship to the Bible. In that it's something we think, or we know, or we believe we should read, yet many of us, I'm not sure we actually do or engage it. Um, and may, or we feel guilt about it. Oh, I should, you know, that's, when I talk with college students, like, how, you know, how's, it, how's your relationship with God? You know, it's fine, I should be reading my Bible more. Okay, I mean, that's like, there's just like this, this sense of guilt about it. Um, but to read the Bible, so we can talk about how to do something all day long. But I think maybe the first step is to read it. Um, so uh, reading the Bible, that's why it's the top heading. Read the Bible. Read it. And then here's some of the ways that you might be able to do it. So read the Bible as an invitation. So what do I mean by that? Well, first it's an invitation to hear and to meet and to encounter God. So we open the Bible as an opportunity to encounter God because we believe as Christians that it's God's word to us. But often we don't read the Bible as an invitation but rather as something to like to go into it because we have to and we have to get it right and there's a certain level of certainty that we need to have about it and what it's saying. It's not necessarily an invitation to meet with God or to learn about how other people have encountered God, uh, but really read the Bible as an invitation. Now, this is really important because every Sunday morning we do something, and there's a moment before the sermon in which we all stand, and someone comes up here, and they read the Word of God. This isn't just something that we do because, well, we should have the Bible read in church. It's because there's a certain assumption that when we open the Bible, that it doesn't take anybody coming to it to explain what it means to you, but rather in the actual reading of Scripture, God's Word might speak to us. And that's a remarkable claim. And it's also unique and fairly new that we have the opportunity to actually have a text that's bound, that's compiled, and that we can open it, by myself, in my house, and I can read it. That's, that's not historically how people engaged God's word. It was, at least in the early church, and for a long period of time after that, listened to. It was read to groups of people, and they heard it. And there was an assumption and a belief that God could speak to them. Now, I love this quote. It said, Rowan Williams says, For when you see a group of baptized people listening to the Bible in public worship, you realize that Bible reading is an essential part of the Christian life because Christian life is a listening life. Christians are people who expect to be spoken to by God. 
So read the Bible as an invitation to encounter God because it's his word to us. But read the Bible also as an invitation to encounter other people. See, the Bible, I think, should be primarily read together. Because it's an opportunity not just to hear God's word to me, but to hear God's word to us. But it's also an opportunity for me to encounter another person with the text sort of in the middle of us. But we don't often do this. And so therefore, I think the Bible is not so much an invitation, but a boundary marker. And it becomes the way by which we divide ourselves. Instead of something that I think God wants to use to actually bring us together. So the Bible is an invitation to encounter one another. I mean, have you ever read something with someone, the Bible, and you start to make observations and you start to talk about it, and someone makes an observation that you hadn't even considered? Now, that observation says something about that person. Like, I have an actual opportunity to get to know someone in a different way because the Bible is something that we're engaging together. So the Bible is an invitation to encounter one another. And so this is fundamentally about posture. We come before the Bible in a posture of wanting to receive from God and to encounter one another. I was talking with Steve Porter, who's a professor at Biola, and he's part of this community, and I talked to him once, and this was years ago, about reading the Bible, and I think confessing that, yeah, I feel like I should read the Bible more, and I'm really having a hard time, like, um, developing a practice, and he told me this practice um, of his friend who said, you know, my friend went through this period of time in which he found it really, it was, she was struggling to engage God's word, and so he just cultivated the practice that he promised that every day, every morning, I don't remember when it was, he would just open the Bible. And maybe he wouldn't even read it. But he would, just, he would open it. Like That was as far as he could go. And I heard that and I was struck by that. I'm like, wow, that's an interesting, it's an interesting thought. Maybe you have a problem with scripture. Maybe you feel like you're a Christian, you don't know where to start. Start there, opening it up. Because that suggests that there is something at least in there that you can receive. And maybe you don't know how to take the extra step of what to read or where to read, but you know that there's something there for you and that God wants to, to speak to you through it. There's, there's a way in which you can encounter another person through it. So I, think that, I thought that was a fascinating practice. Um, and it's also, I think, an invitation to be formed. Like the Bible, we read the Bible to be formed by God. We actually become better readers of Scripture the more we're formed by it. So stories form us, and then as we're formed by the story, we actually have a better idea or understanding of the story. So the Bible forms us, and as we're formed by it, then we become better readers of Scripture. So the next one, read the Bible as a story. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because we talk about that a lot, is that, that the Scripture... All the scriptures kind of has a trajectory. God created the world, and it's the story of God's activity with people, and, and in particular, coming to us in Jesus, and will make all things new. There's this story, there's this trajectory of the Bible. And someone described the Bible to me as, it's a library of books that tells a unified story. I think that's a fascinating idea. That you come to, to the Bible and you have these, this library of books, these different books written at different times, but it tells this unified story really about God's activity in the world, in Jesus, and what God will one day do 
to make all things new. So next, read the Bible like a human being. Now, what do I mean by that? I think it's really crazy to me, and I do this, how often we can kind of check our humanity at the door when we open the pages of Scripture. In the sense that I feel sometimes that I come to the Bible and I'm not supposed to be offended or surprised. I'm not supposed to be... Like, have you ever read something in the Bible and were like, man, I wish that wasn't there? Have you ever had that thought? Let yourself have that thought. There are things in the Bible I wish weren't there. There are things in the Bible, problems, in the sense of stories that are told, what it seems like God was asking people to do, in particular the Old Testament, or even some things in the New Testament. I'm like, okay, I do not know what to do with that. And I just kind of want to... All right, let's put that away and focus. But until we read the Bible like a human being, and until we're honest about what's in the scriptures, then I don't think we will have any credibility with people who don't see the Bible as the word of God. I talk with people who don't know Jesus and and who aren't a part of a church. They're like, well, what do you do with that? It doesn't, I I don't know what to think about this. And I'm like, yeah, I know. (laughs) I don't either. And I, I'm committed to, to reading it with people to maybe think about what, that, what it's saying about God and how he is in the world. But I think we often just check our humanity at the door and so we don't let ourselves be confused. We don't let ourselves be, be kind of like turned off by some of the things that it says. And so therefore what we slowly do is we kind of just say, okay, I'm not going to really engage with this. Because I'm clearly not someone who's like who feels good about this book. But if we believe it's God's word to us, and it's an invitation, and it's to us, to me, a human being, then I can come in here and I'm a, I can be confused, or I can be kind of um, uh, just taken aback by some of the things that it says. And so I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to be somebody different. I can let the Bible form me. I can let the Bible maybe show me what to do with it. I can have others help me. Um, in terms of what the scriptures might be saying. So this does kind of flow into the next one, which is read the Bible with humility. So here's the thing. The Bible was written about over like maybe by 40 or more authors, um, compiled and collected over like a 1,500-year period and written in ancient languages over three different continents. Now that is absurd. Like that is absolutely crazy to me. Here's this book that's been compiled, that the church has seen fit through history, that God himself, his words through human words, to speak to us through this really mysterious thing that we call the Bible. That should be really humbling. Because if I come to the text, then I should be able to have the freedom to not know what it's talking about. I should have the freedom to not be certain about what it might be saying. Because before the Bible was a word to us here, 21st century Long Beach, it was a word to the people for whom this was originally written. See, that to me isn't a problem. It actually is really beautiful. That it's somehow God, through this crazy way of, of bringing the Bible to us, still speaks through it. And it's his word, and we make that claim. That, to me, is a very beautiful thing. But it's also a humbling thing. 
and it's mysterious. And that's why it's one of those things where I can actually have humility when I come to the text, and somebody might have something different to say about it than I do, and say, okay, well, instead of that dividing us, what can we do with that? How might we engage that together? What might God be wanting to say? But it requires a certain level of humility to be able to do that. So read the Bible with active engagement. What do I mean by that? I simply mean read the Bible as someone who's actually engaged with the text. Ask tons of questions. In my exegesis class, which is a class about reading the Bible, most of our our work that we were graded on was based on the types of questions that we asked of the text. It wasn't like, oh, I have this totally clear argument about what the text is saying. No, it's, it's what questions do you have about this? Because your study, your reading, your, your um, research is only as good as the questions you ask. So be curious. Wonder at the text. Be in awe of its beauty and it's sometimes its horror. Be in awe of it. Because it's a text that, that is given to us and we're to be actively engaged with it, asking questions like, well, what is, what is the style of literature here that I'm dealing with? I mean, do you watch, like, a Marvel superhero movie the same way that you might watch a movie that I like by Terrence Malick or whatever? I don't know. Um, something that's boring and slow? No. If you watch those, like, if you, if you watch those movies and you're expecting the same thing in both films, you're going to be highly disappointed which is typically why I'm usually highly disappointed by Marvel movies. It, because, it, that's not, because I don't take my own advice and say, okay, I just need to take this movie for what it is and, and what it's doing and, and let it be that. See, in the Bible, it's the same way it's written in, in narrative, it's written in letters, it's written in poetry, it's written in, in arguments and all these different ways, it's in, in apocalyptic visions, I mean, all these weird things. Now, I don't read a letter from somebody in the same way that I do read a novel. Like, that just doesn't make any sense to me. But in the Bible, it's the same thing. We need to go to the text, and we need to be actively engaged with it, asking the questions of what is this text doing, and how is it telling that story? Honestly, one of the classes that helped me read the Bible better than, or at least think about the Bible in a helpful way, was a class I took in film school. A documentary class. Because it was there I started thinking, oh my goodness. Because documentaries, you just, I was naive, I was, you know, immature. You just assume like, oh, these are true things, right? Like this stuff happened. Well, yeah, absolutely. But it's the way that this director compiled all these things to, to do something with this narrative and, and was engaging me in that way. See, the Bible in the way that it's written and how it's written and how it comes to us is trying to do something. It's not just written, oh, someone's like with the pen, okay, this is, yeah, this is great, God, way to go. Okay, I'm writing this down exactly how it was. Okay, sweet, awesome. No, things happened, people encountered God, and and they began to to make sense of it and articulate it and, and want to do something with the text. That's why you can have four different Gospels, because they're each trying to do something different. You have Matthew who's trying to speak to a Jewish audience. You have Mark, which is almost written like in this crazy, fast paced, um, jump cut edit story, which kind of creates this, this sense of drama. You have John, and I'm like, I don't even know, 
what John is doing. It's written in this like really poetic, beautiful way. And you have Luke, who's truly, truly trying to tell what seems almost like a historical narrative as a way to argue for what happens in the book of Acts. Like, those are beautiful things to me. So if you kind of engage the text in a way like, wow, this is really creative in which the people of God, by the work of God through humans, wanting to create this text so that we, as God's people, might know what it looked like for people to encounter God, what the story God is telling, and how we ourselves can participate in that. Next, read the Bible with patience. And now this is something I think is really important for us. Because we want to know right away what something is saying. So we come to the Bible and we read it and we expect to know after the first time we read it and we don't and we're so frustrated and confused we don't even go back to it. And that's how we treat life. That's how I treat life. If I don't get something, it's easier to not do the hard work of trying to understand it. Because why would I want to spend time doing that? Well, if we believe it's the word of God to us, then let's do the work of trying to understand maybe what, it, what the text is actually saying. So we need to be patient readers of the text. Like I tell people all the time that, you know, it's not my goal. Like I don't have this, I, this goal of like, oh, I want to read through the Bible, all of it in this certain period of time. For me, my Bible reading consists of, like, what are, some, what are some books of Scripture that really grab hold of me? And I want to spend time with those. Over the last couple of years has been the book of Colossians, the Gospel of John, and more recently, the book of Ecclesiastes. Because I like to be depressed, I guess. Um, but, like, these three, these three texts for me, like, I want to spend time with them. Like, I want to have them form me and, and kind of help me understand what they might be saying about God. For some reason, I, if I'm reading it like a human being, connect with those texts, and I want to discover why. And that's okay. It's okay for you to want to discover why something is grabbing hold of you. Don't just read it, pass it by, and say, okay, well, I finished that one, I'm going to go to the next one. No, let yourself be held by a book or a passage or a text in Scripture. Read the Bible with scholarship and tradition. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this, but there's a whole, whole history of tradition of interpretation on the Bible and, and in certain ways that people have interpreted, interpreted Scripture. Look at that. Look at what it, the different translations might be saying, how they interpret a text differently. Scholarship. Don't be afraid of scholarship. I mean, this is, a, this is the Bible. This is God's Word that people have been trying to make sense of and, and learn how to deal with. Like, you don't read it as if no one else ever in the world has read it. That's so silly. (laughs) So just imagine that, oh, okay, other people have tried to work out what what this text means and what it's saying. Huh, I wonder how they've done it and what I can learn from it. And lastly, read the Bible with Jesus in mind. Now, we're Christians, so we're a people who believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and that in Jesus, God's himself completely, that Jesus is the full revelation of God. So we need to read the Bible in light of Jesus. So if Jesus is our full interpretation of who God is, then that should affect the way that we read the text. Before it, leading up to Jesus, and after it, up till now. 
So we need to be, un- like, and that's, I don't mean like reading the prophets and thinking, oh, I wonder what they were, how they were prophesying Jesus. That's not what I mean. What I mean is that, that all of a sudden you have these texts in the Old Testament. You're like, huh, I wonder what this, what this means in light of Jesus. Like, you, you hold this, this God who's revealed himself in Christ, right? Who's, whose life seems to express something of compassion and love and mercy. And so that's not to say there isn't judgment um, or anything like that. But I do think that there is an interesting, um, there's a tension there and with the God that you might encounter in some of the Old Testament texts. And so what do you do with that? That's a fair question and something we should be wrestling with. And Jesus himself interprets scripture. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, you hear this all the time. You heard that it was said that, dot, 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 but I tell you, dot, dot, dot. So Jesus is the one who has the authority to tell us what the Bible is actually saying, which is crazy to think through and to to consider. But we need to be reading the Bible with Jesus in mind. So now for the second part. If you can turn your Bibles to James 1, starting in verse 19. I'm not going to have a lot of time, but see what happens. And so I'm just gonna, we're just going to look through the text. I don't know if I'll make it all the way through. And I'm just going to raise some questions and observations. Now, in theory, this would be best if you could say, hey, I don't agree with you. Or what about this? Or that. And if you feel like you need to do that, well, who am I to stop you? But um, I do think that this would be fun to do in a group together. Oh, let's read the Bible together and, and begin to consider some of these ways and entry points into Scripture. So all of a sudden, so the letter of James, James 1.19. So I have to ask the question, what am I reading, right? I'm reading a letter. So what does that mean? It means it's read, okay, it's, it's, it's written to somebody, to some specific person. And so we kind of get a clue of who that might be in James 1, right? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, James 1.1, sorry, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Okay, and just so you know, I didn't do any, like... I read this text with college group a couple weeks ago, but I haven't done any like study on it. So I'm not like giving you things that you that I know that special knowledge that you don't have. No, this is like a this is a live thing. Um, so, so so James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Okay, so that's interesting. So that's who this this letter was written to to the twelve tribes. So that makes me think. So maybe has like is it a Jewish audience? in the dispersion, so they're kind of spread out. So, so James is writing a letter to what seems like multiple communities, and perhaps Jewish Christians. So it's really fascinating to think about in terms of it being a letter, because unless we know the context, we're limited in what we can actually understand. Like, if you were to come into my house and rubbish through one of my um, drawers, that'd be creepy and illegal, but if you were to do that, and you found, like, a, a Mother's Day card that I wrote to Mandy, you, would, you could be really moved um, by how beautiful my writing is and the things that I say um, to her. But unless you actually know the context of our relationship and kind of what was, what's been going on in our marriage or in, in the lives of our children, you're very limited in terms of what you could actually get from that card, right? It's not to say it wouldn't be valuable. Trust me, it'd be valuable. But um, <laughs> it's, it, it's just to say that, that, you, that you wouldn't get completely um, what it's saying. 
So James 1.19, it's a letter to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. So know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So all of a sudden, I'd probably stop and think, okay, he mentions anger twice. So anger is a big thing here, so why are they angry? And would there be any clues in the first part of this text to suggest why they might be angry? I don't know. I mean, I'm just taking a guess. If they are Jewish Christians, maybe dispersed, um, then perhaps there's some... Uh, well, he actually says it now that I think about it. Uh, in, in verse 2, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. So these people are undergoing trials. Maybe they're being persecuted. Perhaps they're angry about it in some way. Okay, so the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, this is interesting because I've heard this verse, verse 21, read to me, right? So put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And so I just think that's like a, this general claim that we're to put away wickedness. Um, but if you think about it in context, it seems like it has something to do with anger, so anger and putting away filthiness and rampant, rampant wickedness seem to connect, which also makes sense if you continue um, receiving with meekness the implanted word. So is there a sense of pride going on? Is there a sense in which they're trying, they're lashing out at their persecutors? And James is saying, well, no, don't do that. Like receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, I come to this with a lot of assumptions on what the word is. Is it the gospel? Is it, is it Jesus and the spirit at work in this person's life? Um, is it the Bible? But if you look, I, I think there's a clue, at least a little bit before, um, in verse 16. So do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So the word doesn't seem to just be like a, seems to be more than, than a text. It seems to maybe, maybe be the word of God. But at this point, I don't, I'm not sure. And I don't know if I'd want to, if it, I think it's okay to not make any specific claim. But then it says, be doers of the word, which kind of adds an element of, of, I don't know if it's confusion or just makes that, the word a little bit um, more enigmatic and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. So he wants these people, given the anger, um, and to kind of get away, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, receive the implanted uh, word, be doers of that word and not hearers. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he was like. Now take that image. This is a moment where I'd be like, that is a great image. And if you, if you look the very beginning, like in James 1, James loves to use images. I mean, in, in the first couple paragraphs, um, it, it says that in James 1, um, 6, well, five, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. Going down to verse 6, let him ask in faith. Without doubt, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Later on in verse 9, 
He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his, his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. It's a beautiful image. But then we have this image of someone who goes to the mirror, looks at himself, and then walks away and forgets. Do you ever have that happen? And as I think about this image, I wonder if there's something, there's some sense in which it's easy to, to be a hearer of the word and not a doer because we might come to the word and whatever that might mean at this point. And if you come to the mirror to just look at something specific about your face, like, oh, do I have this? Do I still have toothpaste in my mouth? Um, on my mouth, not in my mouth. But, um, and so that'd be like, oh, okay, so you wipe it away and you, you leave. But you, don't, you didn't get a full picture of yourself, right? Or, oh, I need to look at my hair, so I look at my hair, then I walk away. But it seems, I wonder if there's this sense in which the word, and what James is talking about, is to be something that we come before and we actually consider our whole selves. We look at our whole lives and wonder what this word might say about it. I don't know. I mean, I'm just, this, these are just suggestions. You might have your own suggestions or questions. For he look, if he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like, verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, I don't know what that means. Perfect law, the law of liberty, I honestly, at this point, I, that would be a question. What does that mean? The law, it would make sense that James would bring it up if he's talking to Jewish Christians. And is the law the Torah? Is the law something different, bigger? The law of liberty also seems to be important to that. But that would be a question I would have. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, the person's religion is worthless. Wow. I would, this is where I would be like, oh, oh man. <laughs> so if anyone thinks he's, he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So James really, he's, he's really concerned with how these people are acting and responding to what's going on in their life. If it's persecution or something else. He wants to make sure that the way that they're using their mouths actually matches with what they would believe about this word of truth. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So this is a moment, and I'm almost done, where I would say, how does verse 27 connect to anything that's actually been said before? So I think that's a, that's a fascinating insertion here that James puts, Right? He talks, he's talking about anger, he's talking about being a doer of the word, not simply a hearer. Then he talks about bridling his tongue, otherwise that person's religion is worthless. And then religion that is pure and undefiled before God has to do with visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. I wonder if what James, with one of the things that James might be saying is, so here's one thing that actually can't be argued with about your faith. Here's one thing, though you might be persecuted and you want to lash out, don't. Maybe you want to say something, 
you want to, you just want to tell that whatever, right? they're, they're persecutors off or to, to slander. Don't. But you want to know in what direction you probably should, should move toward is visiting orphans and widows because that's going to be hard. That's going to be something that you, you can't really argue with. You want to know what it means, at least in this moment, you want at least what it means to have a religion, to have a way of being with God, and to form around? You could do much worse than visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. Like, I think that's really fascinating. That's a really fascinating move through that text. In terms of, and I don't know, like, there's so much more that, right, that you guys would be so much better at in terms of saying and observations that you make um, or that you made that I hope you'd consider and we could have a conversation about. But that's all, that's literally all we have time for. Um, but it was fun for me. Uh, and I think it'd be, it'd be great if, um, honestly, it'd be great if we read the Bible together more often. Because I, I feel like that would be a beautiful, and not because I want, I'm just so happy, I can't wait to tell you what I think about it, uh, but because I really think that, that until we figure out how to take this thing that we claim to be the Word of God and, and to have it bring us together as something that, that would help us to, to discover and encounter God and one another, then I, I honestly think that people were, like, will think we're so silly. Because we're not a united people who can have conversations about things um, often, where people who come to the text knowing what we already think, which is just so uninteresting, instead of letting the text kind of read us and challenge us and, um, or somebody else challenging us through the text, I mean, that's, just a real, that's, a, that's what I would consider and imagine to be a vibrant, living community that's kinda, that takes its cues from the word of God that actually assumes that the Bible has some sort of authority over our lives. So I hope we can be a community um, that learns how to do that together.